If you're getting distracted by your competition and you're looking at how they're moving, the success they're having, and you're thinking about how to outmaneuver them, how to niche upon niche to really get the attention of your target customer, well, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Leaders Are Readers series, episode number three. And today we're looking at the book, Blue Ocean Strategy, how to create uncontested market space and make the competition irrelevant. This book is written by W. Chan Kim and Renee A. Marborn. I hope I said that correctly. But anyway, I'll link it down below so you can find this book for yourself. This book is amazing. Now, amazing is an understatement. It's phenomenal. It helped me to think about strategy in a completely different way, and I hope it'll do the same for you. I will warn you, though, it's not a particularly easy read. It's almost a borderline textbookish. A lot of research has gone into this, and they use a lot of really amazing practical examples as consultants that have worked with companies and helping them to create blue ocean strategies. I hope I haven't lost you yet. I won't cover everything because of course I want you to get the book. It was written by someone and to honor that person to get that book and read it for yourself. I will tell you this. If you sit down and go through this book, take it slow, apply everything that's in this book, I assure you, you'll walk away with a great strategy for your business. Now the concept blue ocean strategy, in case you haven't heard about it, the idea is that in any market, it gets to the point where all the competitors are offering the same thing and it becomes in essence a red ocean. And in a red ocean, it's hard to differentiate between different companies and different products. Take the example of cell phones. There was a time in which you could really say, oh, an Apple phone is very different from a Samsung phone, is very different from a Google phone. But at this point, if you really look at what each phone is offering, regardless of the company, the phones are basically doing the same thing. So it gets to a point where it's not like, oh, if you get an iPhone, you get a superior camera. Well, if you get a Samsung, you probably can't find one with a superior camera. If you get a Google phone, you probably also get a superior camera. So at one point, that may have been a competitive advantage. It no longer is because every phone has caught up in the technology of offering those same things to the customer. And in essence, it's now almost like competing on brand. And even then to the customer, it's more of what can you afford? Because if you can get the same thing you would get in an iPhone in perhaps a Google phone, then why pay that much more to get an iPhone? Well, let's bring it back to ourselves as entrepreneurs. Whatever service you're offering or whatever product you're offering, there's a point at which we hit red oceans. Everybody is now able to offer that same thing. Even if at one point in time you had a first move advantage, perhaps you were the only person offering that particular service. But over time, as competitors notice that, oh, okay, so-and-so is offering this, we should probably offer that too. Eventually you reach a point where you're in a red ocean. This book is written mostly, I think, for corporates, but I think it's very applicable to entrepreneurs in the sense that we are all trying to create that blue ocean to be in that, I think Kelly Roach calls it creating your own industry of one or something like that. Basically where there is no comparison with you and your competition, which is where we're trying to go. And if we look at the advice that we typically get as entrepreneurs, it's about niching down. You niche down so specifically that you do kind of create that competition of one environment. But anyway, let's take a look at it in a different way, right? Let's get another perspective. So that's why we're reading Blue Ocean Strategy. So path number one in this book, the authors say, 
look across alternative industries. What are the alternatives to your industry and why do customers trade across them? And this book says, by focusing on the key factors that lead buyers to trade across alternative industries and eliminating or reducing everything else, you can create a blue ocean of new market space. Woo, that was a mouthful. All right, let's break that down. As entrepreneurs, let's say you are perhaps a coach, right? What is the alternative for the customer, for what you're providing? Not for what you do, for what you're providing. So if you're providing some kind of a business mentoring, where else can your customer go and get business mentoring? Perhaps they could go to a consulting company for that same service. Perhaps they could go and find a course online to get that same kind of business mentoring education they're looking for. Perhaps they can go and pay someone to provide the service in a really done-for-you state for the same thing that you're providing. So you want to look at all the alternatives for what you provide in the customer's eyes. Then consider why do customers go to these alternative services? Why would a customer go to a consultant? Well, perhaps in the eyes of the consumer, the consultant is highly knowledgeable. The consultant perhaps has worked with other companies that are notable. If perhaps they go and buy a course, well, why do they go and buy a course? Well, perhaps because they want to learn how to do it for themselves and perhaps teach it to themselves. So maybe they're looking for the how-to rather than the guidance, right? And then maybe why would they go to a done-for-you service? Well, because the done-for-you service means that you save on time. So look at all the reasons, all the alternatives to what you do. It doesn't matter even if it's a product. Then you want to apply what the Blue Ocean Strategy authors refer to as the reduce, raise, eliminate, create grid. I know it's a lot when you're listening to it. I hope to be able to get through some points that you can take away from listening and go and apply. But I'll also post something for free on my website, www.reinventingperspectives.com that you can sign up and get the write-up for this episode. All right, so back to the grid. The grid is referred to as the reduce, raise, eliminate, create grid. So let's look at each of these squares in the grid one by one. The authors say you should look at what factors you could reduce well below your industry standard. So they give the example of Cirque du Soleil and how they kind of created this blue ocean because they were not exactly circus. They're not exactly theater. They're not exactly a family outing, but somehow they managed to create this completely new genre by combining all these three things. They have all the elements of why people go to the circus in Cirque du Soleil. At that time, I think circuses were not doing so great in terms of revenue and the expenses were high. Why? Because they were using celebrity acts. They were using a lot of animals that you'd have to transport and then you'd have to have permits to keep the animals, people to take care of the animals and all the costs associated with that, which were very high. But what they did is they looked at creating that same fun factor that's in the circus while not relying on celebrity acts. In terms of having a whole lot of animal acts, they reduced that well below the industry standard. And if you look at race, that's the next point, race. Which factors should you raise well above your industry standard? 
So if you look at Cirque du Soleil, what you expect from a traditional circus is just a fun act and you go out there with the children, right? But with Cirque du Soleil, they also brought in the element of theater, of opera. They raised the element of storytelling, of drama, of a night out, well above the industry standards of circus. And then the next element is eliminate. What factors does your industry take for granted that should be eliminated? What things are you doing that don't particularly add any real value to your customer, but have become sort of an accepted norm within your industry? So if we go back to Cirque du Soleil, does the customer really care that the person performing the act is a celebrity name? Not really. Children don't really care. They're just there to enjoy whatever act is put before them. They don't care that it's um, the number one actor in the United States or the number one Bollywood actor. So they literally could just eliminate that celebrity culture from the circus. Because even though it was a standard of marketing celebrity acts to draw people into circuses, the customer doesn't really care. They were going to come to the circus anyway, even if it wasn't a celebrity act. So think about what is it that has become an accepted norm in your industry that isn't really of any value to your customer? Then the last point in the grid is create. What features could be created that the industry has never offered? Now, the answers to this grid, like we said, will come from looking at alternative industries. It will come from understanding why your customer, instead of coming to your industry for that exact thing, is going to another industry. And when you look at all those things, you begin to realize that if you can take the high value things from alternative industries and bring them into the way in which you do things and eliminate the things that are maybe norms in your industry that the customer honestly doesn't care about, reduce the things that maybe are high cost, but really not so much value and raise the things that the customer really, really cares about. That's part one of creating a blue ocean strategy. Remember, you're trying to create yourself to be in a competition of zero, in uncharted waters in essence. And in order to go into uncharted waters, we have to do things differently than they've already been done. And not just differently for the sake of being different, differently by understanding what it is that the customer values. Now, this is a tricky one because a lot of times in strategy, we say, well, ask the customer what they want. And in this book, the author says, if you go and ask a customer what they want, they're probably going to say they want more of what you already offer for a lesser price. That doesn't help you at all. Because the customer is just looking at what you already offer and just thinking, well, if I could get it for cheaper, that would be great. For that information of going to the customer, the authors say, at a certain point, it doesn't help you that much. It's tricky, isn't it? Well, let me know what you think. In the search of understanding what is valuable to the customer in your product and what is not valuable to the customer in your product, in that sense, it's good to go to the customer. But to ask a customer, what would they like? They want whatever you give for cheaper. And so it gets you nowhere. The second path that the authors talk about, they say you should look across strategic groups 
within your industry. Each jump in price tends to bring a corresponding jump in dimensions of performance. So they say if you understand which factors determine a customer's decision to trade up or down from one group to another, this is helpful information. So for example, in the consulting industry, you have boutique firms, right? Family-owned boutique firms. And then you have, you know, the bigger companies like Deloitte, Accenture, Pricewaterhouse, right? And then you have the big three. You have McKinsey & Company, Boston Consulting Group, Bain & Company. If you look at these as strategic groups within the industry, then you want to understand, well, why would a customer go from a boutique firm, consulting firm to Deloitte? What is it that helps them to make that decision? Right. Well, maybe the customer might consider that, well, a boutique firm is limited to their expertise, maybe in a local area. They are limited maybe in terms of their connectedness. They are limited perhaps in terms of the size of companies that they're used to working with and the kind of results that people expect for them. The next strategic group within that industry of consulting, right? You think of Deloitte maybe... It's global. You think Deloitte has a lot of data because of their, one, the amount of years they've been in business, the association with people of high intellect as their consultants, right? And then maybe you think of Bain & Company. Why do people go to Bain & Company? Why the big three? Because they think that's where the best of the best of consultants is. That's where researchers and data and results That's what they expect. If you do that for your industry, break down the various strategic groups, right? So you're thinking price and associated performance. And then from the customer's perspective, why do customers trade up or why do they trade down? And when you understand those decision-making factors across the strategic groups, you then can begin to understand, well, what is of highest value to my customer based on that movement that you understand within your industry? And what is it that you should focus on offering? What is it that your product should focus on doing for the customer so that you can combine the decision-making factors into what you offer for your customer? Remember, we're not sticking to what's already been done. We're trying to go into uncharted waters. We're trying to be competition of one. We're trying to be like nothing that's out there before while providing everything that the customer has been looking for. The thing they've been looking for and they didn't know they were looking for in you and in your product and in your offer, that's the thing that you're trying to provide for them. Path three, the author says, look across your chain of bias. In this case, ask yourself, what is the chain of bias in your industry? Which buyer group does your industry typically focus on? And if you shifted the buyer group of your industry, how could you unlock value? So for example, in this case, the goal is you want to challenge the conventional wisdom about which buyer group to target with your offer. So let's say you typically approach, I don't know, the HR of a company to buy your product. Or perhaps you typically approach schools with a product for students. So in this case, the authors are saying, question that. 
question, well, maybe, why don't you look at the users rather than focusing on who makes the buy decision? Because if the product is satisfactory to the user, then the marketing of that product is going to be so much easier because the results of the user are what make the purchaser make a buy decision. How much influence does the user have in the decision to purchase your product or service? And how can you make it so that you can either bypass the typical buyer and get to the user? Perhaps, for example, instead of marketing your product to HRs, maybe make it so that individual employees who desire training can purchase that product for themselves rather than have the company purchase the product for them. And if you have enough employees using a product, getting results from it, eventually even the HR executives that you would have typically tried to approach first will see the results, right? So if you think about it, transformation markets itself. And by avoiding going where everybody else is going in what is norm in your industry, you create a blue ocean for yourself as well in terms of your marketing. Part four in the book, the authors say, look across complementary product and service offerings. They say untapped value is often hidden in complementary products and service. Define the total solution that buyers seek when they choose a product or service. So in this case, you're looking at what happens before they purchase your service. You're looking at what happens during the purchase and you're looking at what happens after the product is used so that you create a solution that not only addresses the one problem that your current product or service is about, but you anticipate the before and after and provide a total solution, thereby creating a blue ocean for yourself. Key in this book, which they say, the goal is that for every leap in value, you should also aim to be reducing costs. I know, it's one of those things where you would think that for every leap in value, you would expect that a client should be willing or a customer should be willing to pay more for that leap in value. But in this case, the authors say no. Every leap in value should have reduced costs. Leap in value with reduced costs will be your blue ocean strategy. Because they say sometimes the more and more expensive something becomes, the smaller the market becomes for that thing. So it doesn't matter how amazing the thing is, at some point, the market is so small because of just how expensive the thing is. But if you can go to the masses with something that has a leap in value and reduced cost, then you have, one, a better chance of creating a blue ocean strategy. Because if you create so much value and then raise the price so high that even the market is so small, then opportunities to scale in that market become limited. Well, this is what I have for today. And like I said, please do go to my website, www.reinventingperspectives.com and grab the free write-up on this episode. I'll add some things that I didn't mention in this podcast episode. And I think if you can listen to the episode and you can read the write-up, I hope that will be helpful to you. Thank you so much for listening in. I absolutely value your time. And I hope that I was able to communicate some value from this book to you. It's an amazing book and it's definitely one that is worth reading. Take your time, take it slow, apply it and come back and let me know how things are going. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.